Well, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about one of the uh, heroes of the faith, uh, a guy named Elijah. Uh, You've probably heard a lot of the stories about Elijah. You've been in the church or went to Sunday school, grew up. If you didn't, you're uh, a really uh, good person to to look at. Uh, It's actually uh, his story, what we're going to look at, or most of it is in 1 Kings. Today we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, But the reason that I wanted to look at Elijah and his life is because he was able to rise up in spite of the circumstances that he faced. Uh, he, he uh, hero of the faith, you think this guy's got it all together, but really he had a lot of uh, insecurities. He had fears, and uh, you're going to hear it through some of these stories, some of the emotions that, that played out. Um, and also he spent time with people who were going through hard circumstances. He didn't just read about it. He didn't just see it on the on the news or uh, he didn't just uh, just talk about it, but he actually lived among the people who were going through challenges. And, and so I think uh, his, his life is such a good example uh, for Christians that we should be doing the same. Steve Jobs said, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like this. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made, he said it made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want, would I want to do what I'm about to do? Whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. He actually uh, passed at a pretty young age in his, in his 50s, um, but if he lived that way um, throughout his life, uh, maybe, maybe that is okay. Um, what's it like to live as if today is your last day? Well, today in our story, we're going to look at um, Elijah's encounter with a woman who was a widow in a town called Zarephath. We don't even know her name. It doesn't say her name. It just says the widow of of Zarephath. Um, And she actually lived as as if each day was her last, or at least least in the story— well, what we're going to read, she thought that it was her last day, um, or at least um, that she would die very soon after. You'll, you'll see what I mean in a minute here. So Elijah, uh, leading up to this point, had, he had told the king, an evil king, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, that there would be a drought. Well, things were going really well under King Ahab's leadership, at least as far as uh, the economy, and people were prospering, or at least the, they were as a whole. But he led people to worship false gods, specifically Baal. Uh, and, and so Elijah said, hey, there's, there's going to be a drought. And there was for three and a half years. And, and this, this made them mad. Uh, they were, they, they were uh, after Elijah. He was on the run. And so God told him to go and hide by a brook of water uh, in Kirith. Uh, and he hid by this, this brook. Uh, he stayed there. He was in a secluded area, um, or at least he hadn't been caught there. And food was brought to him by a raven. Now we're not going to do that story. We're we're, we're going into what's com- what comes right next, right after. Uh, and I'm going to read through. It's First Kings 17, starts at verse seven. But I'm going to read through it just a verse and or two verses at a time. And if you would follow along with me, um, but don't skip ahead because the details of this story, I mean, they're amazing. We, if you just read it, uh, read the story, you'd think yeah, that's a good story. But I want to talk about what some of this, what some of these things actually mean. And when I read it, I'm like, that, okay, that actually adds a lot more to it. 
And so if you would, begin with me at uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 7. It says this. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I'm going to stop there. The brook dried up. The water dried up. What, uh, what had uh, been uh, Elijah's provision was gone. Where God had provided before, he was not providing anymore. This happens to us. This happens today. This happens with jobs. Uh, maybe a job provided an income uh, or um, provided for your family for a long time and, and the job no longer exists or something happened. Or maybe a, a person took care of you and now they can't. Or maybe you were at a home that you uh, had things uh, given to you or at least uh, um, it was provided to you in some way and now that's gone. That's life, life change, transition. Um, the, the issue that sometimes happens is uh, we don't want to leave something that provided for us before. We don't want things to change. But verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Okay, you've been, you've been given water, you've been given food, and now I'm going to ask you to leave. What? Why would we want to do that? It's not going to meet our needs anymore. There's a, there's a time for change. We would rather keep things the way they were because we find security in the past. We know, we know it worked out up to this point, so we assume because it did up to this point that it's going to continue to do the same moving forward, and so we don't want it to change at all. But he told him, he said, go 100 plus miles on foot from Kirith to Zarephath um, through a country where the king is after you, where he's basically put a contract out for you or a bounty. Uh, you are not safe, but God tells Elijah, you need to, to take this 100 plus mile journey uh, to a, a town, Zarephath, in, in Sidon, where the queen's father ruled that area. So they're going to know who you are. It's not going to be safe on the way there. It's not going to be safe when you get there. I know you're comfortable and you're safe where you are now, but you got to go. Oh, and even more, when you get there, we're going to provide for, I'm going to provide for you through a widow. That was laughable. Uh, a widow at the time had no rights to inheritance, to an inheritance. So uh, there were special provisions under the law that after a harvest, they could walk through the fields and pick up what was left over. When times were at their worst, a drought, who's going to be the one that suffers? The widows, the orphans, the ones that don't have anything stored up, the ones that can just walk through and, and just get their daily portion. It's not there. But this lady is going to be the one that provides for Elijah. This is, I wanted to stop here because this is a reminder that it's all from God anyway. It's, it's, not, it's not through the widow. The widow didn't provide. God provided through the widow to Elijah. Maybe we've been in that situation where we have to take from someone that we, we say, no, you shouldn't be taking care of me. I should be taking care of you. It's hard to receive. It's not ours. It's not theirs anyway. It's all, it's all from God. And so verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, uh, would you bring me a little jar or a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and, and my son that we may eat it and die. The widow just had a little bit left. Just enough for one more meal for her and her son, and then that was it. I, I said earlier, we don't know her name, but she matters an awful lot in this story. At this point, she's as good as dead, her son too. One last meal, and now Elijah comes and says, uh, actually, I want, your, I want you to take care of me first. I want you to take care of me before you make the food for yourself. Now, you, you may have read this before, but, but notice her response. As surely as the Lord your God lives. This is coming from a lady who's in, a, who's in an area where everyone's worshiping different gods, uh, specifically Baal, not Yahweh, not the God of Israel, not Elijah's God or our God. Uh, her husband had died, and so very tough situation, not just that she lost her husband, but she also lost any, any uh, forms of provisions. And she has a son that she can't take care of, and she's going to watch him die as well. She had absolutely zero hope. Sometimes we, we don't realize what we have. I, I read a, a story about a man named Danny Simpson who had, had he known what he had, he probably wouldn't have done what he did. But in 1990 in, in Canada, this 24-year-old went to jail for robbing a bank, and his gun went to a museum. He was arrested for robbing a bank of $6,000 and then sent to jail for six years. He used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, which turned out to be an antique by the Ross Rifle Company in, in 19, made, made in 1918. And the pistol itself was worth up to $100,000, much more than what he had stolen. If he had just known, if he had just known what he had, maybe he wouldn't have done what he did. I think we're holding on to uh, $100,000 yet we live as if we're in need of $6,000. We want the next little thing to bring us happiness, but we have a fulfilling life being offered to us through Jesus. So why did this lady, this widow, why did she acknowledge a living God? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that I knew she had faith before, that she knew about this God. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know a lot about her in this story, but I hope it's something that we can hold on to because when the food runs out, when the job goes away, when our health begins to fail, can we still acknowledge the living God? This is a faith issue. We're going to talk a little bit about um, money today, stewardship, but this really isn't about those things. This is about our faith and an opportunity for it to grow. See, uh, she was chosen before Elijah even got there. God told her, when you get there, there's going to be a widow to take care of you. She just happened to be right at the gate. And she was going to be used. She didn't even know it, but God knew how, how her faith would, would play out in this situation. And I think maybe we, we might want to decide how we're going to handle life's hardships when they come beforehand. Will we still trust God in the droughts of life? So Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But but first make the small loaf of bread for me uh, from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. What a lesson from Elijah. Now, 
I'm really thinking about what what's going on here. Uh, this this lady and her son are on their last meal, and then they're and then they're gonna die when they starve. Um, and then this guy comes and he says, "Hey, actually, make me something first. I don't like that. I don't I don't think that fits. Uh, I don't that doesn't fit our way of thinking. You know, the idea of taking care of yourself before others." The idea of uh, when you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask comes down, you're supposed to put your oxygen mask on first. It's uh, it's used a lot for self-care. Take care of yourself first or you can't take care of anyone else. I, I, I get it on some level. I think it makes sense. It, it's logical. Take care of your family before you take care of other families. Take care of your country before you take care of all the other countries. Take care of your community and your church before you take care of the other communities and the other churches. They can take care of themselves. we got to take care of our own people. Sounds like a really good idea, but it's not Christian thinking. This isn't this isn't what we what we read about in this story. And later we're going to read a story when Jesus' very first sermon. What he says, same idea. Why why is this the case? Because it requires no faith to live that way. It leaves no room for God. Now I I brought uh, I brought ten bills up with me. I got some money up here. These are $1,000 bills. No, they're $1 bills. You can pretend. Whatever you, whatever you want to do. It's really about percentage, though. Let's say that I need $10 every month. This is my, we'll say this is my income. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I need $5. Got to divide this here. This is my needs. This is what I absolutely have to have. This is for food and my mortgage and utilities. This is what I need to, to live. Um, and then I've got $2. We call this discretionary income. That's like uh, the things that I want, and I, I feel like I need them. Like maybe it could be for a, a vehicle. It just, just just depends. I mean, I don't know how people want to divide up that, or, or cell phones, or um, eating at restaurants, or vacations. That's discretionary. That's extra income. I don't need it to survive. And then uh, you're supposed to save 20%, so I'm going to put $2 in my pile there. Um, and that leaves a dollar, and um, and I, I'm supposed to give that uh, to the church or to God in some way. Um, and th- again, this this isn't going to be all about uh, stewardship, but we are going to talk about it for a second, because the the thing is, if if everyone gave their dollar, if everyone gave ten percent, um, it doesn't. The thing is, it's percentage. So if uh, if you make twenty thousand dollars or you make two hundred thousand, if you give ten percent, if everyone did that the church would be able to do so much more. Uh, but it doesn't happen. Na- na- nationwide, it's like 2 to 3%. Um, and uh, much of it comes from the same few people. But uh, wh- why does it happen? Well, I think what happens is when uh, the economy crashes, when inflation kicks in and, and everything, and then I need more for this, this uh, need pile, my $5, I need a lot more now. And so I have to choose where am I going to get uh, money for that pile, and I got my discretionary pile and my save pile and my giving pile, and I really don't want to give up any. I don't want my family to be mad at me, so I'm going to take that. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that because that'll make them mad. So no, I'm just going. I'll give later. I'm going to pull that back. I. Why do we think this way? Because my needs are more important like to think it was just as a whole. I think we have that mindset. My country is more important than that country. 
my my community is more important than the than the one 30 minutes away. Those people don't matter as much. My family is more important than my neighbors. So if I have an opportunity to reach them or or uh, take care of myself, I would I would much rather keep my discretionary income instead of pulling from that pile. Or I, I don't trust God enough, so I better save I, I better save more. I don't want to just save half because what happens if I'm not provided for in in 30 years? It's mine. I I I worked for it. I enjoy it. I deserve it. I'd like to say it's simply because we uh, we don't think that God will provide for our needs. That it's just a matter of our faith. But I actually think it's it's more that we want to keep our status and our hobbies. I think it's just that we're selfish people. And again, I I don't know. Uh, just to be upfront, I don't know who gives what, and I will never know, and I don't want to know. Uh, and some people might be living off of 20% and giving 80%. This, is, this isn't uh, about one person, or uh, this is as a whole. This is just, uh, uh, the numbers don't lie. See, the reason that I need to talk about this, or I felt I needed to, is because if we only give out of our excess, if, if we only give when things are going well, we're not trusting God, we're trusting our money. We're trusting our own logic, and we're trusting the formulas that uh, that tell us that you should give this much and save this much and spend this much, and you need this much to live. We're just trusting in that. We're not trusting God at all. If we only give out of our excess, then it's not our faith. It's it's ourselves. I had no plans of talking about tithing uh, to the church. I, I really didn't want to do it in this poor economic situation. When inflation's up high, I know the needs are higher. And I and I then I look at the numbers and I think, well, the needs are higher, so it's got to come from somewhere. But why not this pile? Or why not this pile? No, it comes from this pile. This is the first thing that's going. We don't need faith when things are going well. But this is exactly when we have to have faith. If not, then you miss out. This isn't about me. This isn't about. I, I know it's it's hard, you know the hardest part of talking about. Uh, tithing is my salary comes out of it, all the staff salaries. I, so it makes it kind of tough. But the truth is I could I could get a job somewhere else. This isn't about my salary. This is about the impact that the church can have in the kingdom or not. And this is about you and your faith. You will miss out on a chance to grow in your relationship with God if you only give when things are going well, if you only give when you have extra. This isn't about if I give, then maybe God will bless me more down the road. That might happen. It might not. This is about trusting God no matter what, that he will meet your needs. Now, the other reason I wanted to talk about it is because uh, based on the total numbers, a lot of people have stopped. Uh, we couldn't afford to replace Colin as a, um, we, we couldn't hire a full-time person to replace him. We have money. We're doing the remodel project. We have it set aside. Uh, so short-term, we're okay. Uh, but income is less than expenses, and we're trying not to spend hardly anything. And if it continues this way, then we'll have to make more cuts. This is a, it's a long-term issue. It really is. Less staffing, less programs, less impact in the community, less impact in the world. And we look around, and we see Bible colleges are closing and making drastic changes, and, and the churches in our town are shrinking. And, and you just have to, you have to make a decision. I, I can't decide this for anyone else, and I, I just I think, do we want a church in this town? Do I want my kids to have a church, or do they, are they going to have to drive to Lincoln or Springfield or Decatur? It's a long-term issue, but without talking about it, I just think we're going to keep going down that path, and eventually um, we won't have any impact in this community. We might even, the doors might not even be open. 
when I read this chapter, I, 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 I just thought about myself and, and, uh, and the lives of people around me, and, and it's hard. Sometimes I find my fulfillment through, through money. If I, I think if I buy this, this house, if I, if I buy a boat, I would be really happy, and I want to. What matters most? the next item, the next thing that might make me happy, or continuing to reach people for Jesus. The widow in this story had almost nothing left. She continued to put God first, and she put others first. She was down to her last meal and her son, and she still put God first. I'm not telling you to give everything away. I'm not telling you to give anything. I'm telling, I'm asking you to consider where your heart is, because Jesus said where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The result was her needs were met. Not all of her wants, but her needs. Being obedient to God, um, she moved from death to life. We are as good as dead if we live with no faith where we can trust God, not just in the afterlife, but today, to know that my, my God will never fail. And this is life-changing hope. I told you I was going to come back to this at the end, and here we are. Jesus said something very similar in Luke chapter 4. I'm, it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read a half of it, and I'm going to stop, and then I'm going to read the other half. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He's at his hometown. He stood up, and he read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This was Jesus' very first sermon. Right after he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he came out, and this is what he did. And he read the script, but... Uh, but, but really think about this. This is his first message, and people loved it. He just said that, that he was going to offer um, a hope to the poor and the sick and the prisoners and the oppressed, and they're like, bring it on, Jesus. We love you. You're, gonna, you're really going to take care of us. Someone said, isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogues were furious when they heard this, 
they got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Well, you met you met other people. You met not us. We're not gonna get everything right now. That's you're you're gonna you're gonna take care of people that are that are different than us, people in different countries. How does that help us? Jesus, can't you take care of us? And they and they were gonna kill him. That's what they were after. But Jesus said, mm, actually we're gonna put other people first, not ourselves. As Christians, we are chosen, a chosen group of people. Anyone can be a part of it, but our role is to spread this hope. And we're not going to spread it if we don't have faith that God will provide for us, that God is worth our lives. If we don't, we're the ones missing out, though. There's nothing more important than telling someone, telling someone else about Jesus, even life itself. But you've been invited to partner in taking the good news of Jesus to the world. And it's going to take work and time and money. And, and the question is, would you be willing to give some of those things to join in this mission? I think the key is uh, to live as if you're receiving life, not earning it. Uh, when, I, when I take the, the $10, I think the, I heard this saying once that it's not how much you can give to God, but how much should you keep of what God gave to you. I think I botched that a little bit, but you get the idea. When I think of this, this is my money, I'm going to give 10% to God. Or I can say, you know what, this is all God's money. How much do I need to live on? Maybe I'll get to nine. Maybe not. I don't know. But we have to believe that this is about receiving first. And that the gospel of Jesus, it's the mindset that we have, to, uh, we have to have that in order to give it away. Jesus set the tone. The resurrection was the reminder of this promised new life that we can trust him. Life is a gift. And when we begin to see it that way, then we can share it with others. The widow, in, in despair, she lived that way. And we see the results. Will you live in the same way? Let's pray. Father, uh, as always, I thank you for uh, this scripture. Uh, although I don't like it very much, I, I thank you that uh, we can see what it looks like when someone follows you. I, I like to keep things to myself. I like to keep, keep control of my life. I like to know that, um, that what I'm doing is working. But when we read your scripture, when we read, when we read these stories, uh, we, have to, we have to see that it doesn't work that way. And so I pray that you would open all of our eyes, whatever that looks like, uh, whether it's through finances, through serving, uh, through relationships, that we would decide to put you first in every part of our lives, uh, knowing that uh, you will work through, um, work through our faithfulness as you have always proven faithful to us. So I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for the hope that we have through